Welcome to PackSafe's Legal Department of the Future podcast. I'm PackSafe founder and CEO, Brian Powers. As an attorney who's ventured into the tech world, I'm always looking for ways to fuse the legal and tech spaces together. I sat down with TiVo's senior legal counsel, Roy Zemlicka. Tune in as Roy and I discuss how his background as an architect and UX designer led him to his career in tech and goal to make complex legal issues as simple as possible. Let's talk about a little bit about your background, where you come from, where you are, and what makes you passionate about, you know, what you do. Sure. Um, so, uh, sort of starting off with, you know, currently, currently I'm a uh, senior legal counsel here at uh, TiVo, and uh, I'm sure you know, but just in case for a little clarification, TiVo is the uh, company that often rumored to have kicked off the whole DVR craze, although uh, um, there were a couple of devices uh, before that, but it was the one that really sort of got into the world and well, and, and well known. Um, for me, uh, Kleenex of DVRs, all, right? <laughs> the Kleenex of DVRs, which we're still fighting against sometimes. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you aren't TiVoing, you use a TiVo. <laughs> right. Um, about me personally, my background, uh, going all the way sort of uh, to my uh, educational career, I developed my own major in um, educational policy and technology, which was basically basically focused on how people learn to use technology. And then for um, multiple years, I worked as a information architect and user experience designer. And as the web started growing larger and larger, more legal questions started coming up about how these were all interacting. And I thought it sounded like a really great fit of um, explaining these technology principles and these high concept legal issues together. So I dove into law school and have been uh, practicing law in the high tech industry ever since, sort of focusing on um, trying to make complex legal issues as simple as possible. That's so that's really interesting. Um, so that puts you uh, in that same small pool of lawyers with me that actually have a, a technical background um, and even more so some technical aptitude. Yes. Although not to the extent that like you get your um, patent prosecutors or your, you know, really, um, EE degree people who were hardcore engineers. Uh, I, I'm the softer side of technology. <laughs> sure. Um, I'm curious how, you know, with, even they say it's a, it's a softer technical background. It's a, it's a technical background. Nevertheless, I'd be curious to know how, you know, that's helped you, um, you know, in your legal career and specifically at Devo. In my legal career, I started off on the litigation side and one of the things that I thought would be very beneficial is, you know, as I said, my background is how do you explain sort of these complex technology issues and going to law school, I was also hoping to understand, you know, how to explain some of these complex legal issues and in the litigation framework, it seemed very important. How do you explain to a jury or a judge 
the complex technology issues they don't understand, and then specifically for the jury, both the complex technology and the complex legal issues. Um, however, I, I quickly found that the litigation side was a little bit more um, pillage and salt the earth than my aptitude was for. And so I headed in-house, um, which then let me work with engineering teams and legal teams and for very much sort of a similar uh, purpose of trying to work collaboratively with the engineering and marketing teams to explain why these legal issues aren't just checkboxes or roadblocks, but they're actual questions and items that exist that cause the company to have to take a risk analysis and why that risk analysis is important. And on the legal side to explain to co uh, colleagues in the legal department or you know, who we're working with with outside counsel of why these engineers are bringing up questions that are actually very valid and important related to what they're trying to accomplish with the uh, engineering and product design work that they're doing. Right. No, that's great. The, um, do you find that there's a, uh, um, a lot of tension between, you know, the legal and risk analysis side of the business and what, you know, the marketing and engineering teams want to do with, with their products and their architecture? Um, marketing, always has sort of, you know, a, a head bump against um, risk, analysis, just risk analysis. And that's just because they're trying to, you know, be cutting edge, which is great. Um, and you want to encourage that. So a lot of con good conversations come from that. Engineering, they're wanting to be innovative, which I think is a little bit different than, you know, marketing wanting to grab eyeballs and being cutting edge for attention getting engineering wants to be innovative and be developing new ideas. And that's a whole different sort of risk analysis assessment and um, a little bit more of, you know, paying attention to certain legal structures that are in place either through pre-existing agreements or laws and regulations that, intellectual property issues and things that might come up and um, just sort of trying to create sort of the idea of the outline of fence posts that help guide right. where the innovation is going, but not actually corral and limit that innovation. Yeah, no, no, that's great. Um, uh, your career arc is really interesting. Um, you know, like we already touched on the, the, the technical background, but going from litigation into really, I mean, it, it sounds like a lot of your role there is, it's almost like the, a, a product council role since you're working closely with, um, you know, engineers and marketing. Uh, I, do you think that litigation background has, has helped you there? I, I definitely think that it has, you know, definitely influenced my, viewpoint as to what people might see about the litigation process and how they actually understand its impact. And as a counsel, it let me see where some of the breaking points are and how those breaking points and contracts happen, which to get to, um, I think some of the issue that you're discussing, 
ties closely into the sort of those day-to-day agreements of click-through agreements and um, pass-through agreements in terms of service. What are your other functions inside of the legal department? Is it is it mostly just is it mostly all contracts? Do you ever touch on litigation? Is it? Um, I have very little touch on litigation. Um, the company as it's structured has a very has its own sort of litigation side. So I have only the smallest amount of uh, crossover with that. My day to day covers sort of three main. Uh, areas. I'm the primary counsel for the retail and consumer side of our business, which is the uh, DVR boxes that are sold by TiVo to end consumers. Um, Privacy, uh, North American privacy for uh, TiVo, and then also our sort of policies and compliance issues like export compliance, open source software, and um, user agreement and privacy policy. Got it. So with that as as context, um, you know, obviously this podcast is about how legal departments are trying to be innovative and keep pace with the, you know, in this well, for the most part, tech businesses that move very fast or try to move very fast. Um, do you have any thoughts on on challenges around keeping pace? You know, as a in-house lawyer at a tech company that tends to move very quickly. I think the question itself sort of hits the nail on the head in the fact that it's the moving very quickly in the tech industry. Um, and I'm, I can only speak to that industry, but I'm sure almost every other industry probably feels the same. Everything's always moving so quickly. So having to keep up with that pace when sort of the entire underpinnings of a contract is the careful and thoughtful put together of formal words on paper, right? that's always going to be a challenge. I mean, they're, they're sort of just in their core genetics, a little at odds. I'd just be curious to know what's your approach to, you know, to keeping up. Is it, is it finding new technology to, to help? Is it, um, you know, articulating things differently to the business, um, to different people. I just, I'm curious how, um, Clearly, you're aware of, of how difficult it is from practice. Just be curious if there's if there's tips or tools that that you've found to to kind of help stay relevant and keep up. I've always been a huge proponent of listening, or I guess if you want to be the more uh, modern or uh, new new term, uh, active listening. The more you listen to your business and understand what they're actually trying to do, the more you can look at the tools that you have or the more you can cogently request tools that can benefit the business. And if you're making, if if you're using a tool that actually benefits the business, 
or if you're making a request for a tool that will actually bring benefit to the business, it's much more likely that it will be adopted and utilized and get approved for being brought on board if that's the case. That's, that is uh, great advice. Um, I think uh, people listening to this podcast are going to, to really enjoy that. Um, hey, so you have any good examples of that? How, you know, something that, um, because I think that's really insightful, you know, listening, really understanding a business problem, um, you know, that relates to what you do as in-house counsel and then being able to find a solution that solves that problem. You know, that's, that's, um, that's really, really insightful. Uh, it, do you have any good examples of, of how that's played out in practice for I, you? I, I do have a good example, um, although it's going to very much sound like a uh, um, prepared plug for uh, PackSafe. So apologies, <laughs> apologies in advance for sing, uh, singing the praises of uh, the PackSafe product. That was 100% um, not planned, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we can do an alternative that also sings some uh, small praises of Microsoft, too. But uh, um, the, 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 main one, the main one that leaps to mind is as the Internet of Things functionality started growing, there became a need for the business unit to determine a way to recognize and hand off that users are, are accepting third-party terms as well as our terms because the Internet of Things allows you to interact with devices that may not be your device or it allows you to use a smart speaker or other mediator system to connect to a third party. But once you're sort of going past your walls and boundaries, you want to make sure that the user has acknowledged and agreed that now they're stepping out of your space and are having to acknowledge that they're agreeing to other terms as well. We had already sort of built this sort of pack safe integration um, previously to handle a lot of our policy work for user agreements and privacy policy acknowledgement for our hardware product as well as our services. And by working with the engineering team and hearing what they were needing to do, they were spinning up a lot of cycles of possibly having to do this development to meet what they thought or what was being understood as a legal requirement, which I will acknowledge there was the legal request in there. But what we were wanting to have was acknowledgement that the user knew they were going and interacting with third-party terms. By working with them and listening to what capabilities were currently available, we realized that the best system probably already was a system we had in-house, and we worked with the PackSafe team. Shout out to the PackSafe support team and uh, Eric, because they were amazing. Um, All right. What, what seemed to be a uh, simple integration, and I'll say seemed to be because I didn't do any of the coding, so for me it was a simple integration, uh, <laughs> that let us record and store that transfer point and acknowledgement by the user rather than having to develop something in-house, home-baked, 
we were able to leverage technology that we already had that according to you know engineering and um, shaved a couple months off of the uh, time cycle and met all of our legal requirements for being able to, if necessary, dive in and make sure that we had the verified acceptances. Well, that's great to hear. Love it. Clearly you've worked quite a bit with your engineering team. What would be really good to know is if you have any tips or advice or whatever, um, you know, about the best way for legal teams to work with engineering teams is that it's, uh, in our experience and in my experience, there's, there's always a lot of, a lot of friction there. Um, not always, but there can be. And it sounds like you've been able to uh, successfully navigate that um, probably a number of different times. So I'd be curious if you have any thoughts on, you know, what's the best way for, for legal counsel at, at tech companies to, to really work well with engineering teams? Um, I, I have to give major kudos to the faculty that I worked at when I was doing my own major back in uh, the uh, educational technology and um, policy work. There was some amazing work on education on different concepts of how to improve, and this is meant for classroom education, but I've just found that it applies so thoroughly through everything that I've done in my career. And uh, I'm not going to go through all of them, but two very major ones is language development and contextualization. Um, the first issue of language development is everybody might think that they're speaking the same language. But you're really not. We're either speaking legalese and they're speaking tech, or they're speaking marketing and we're speaking policy. There are certain terms that come with baggage and realizing that those might not be shared terms, taking the time to work with your team, and again, the listening to see if they're actually understanding that when you say a term or when they say a term, if it means the same to both people. And if you show interest with your client that you're working with, either marketing or engineering, it may seem a basic question, but if you ask what they're trying to tell you, tell you it really helps engage and it means that you start speaking the same language as them and you can provide better services. And the second is contextualization and that's trying to put it almost sort of somewhere on the same path of the language development is you need to contextualize why this risk, because the risk is important to the company, you need to explain also why that risk is contextualized and important to the team or what the legal burdens mean in a manner that contextualizes it with your client's experience. That's great advice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just went off on my whole pedagogy boring topic, but I know no, those people that I got, that I got to work with and they were amazing and have, I feel improved my skill set so much that I still lug around their books and uh, 
work. <laughs> well, I, I mean, clearly, I think it served you well. That that uh, that's a really interesting approach. Um, the uh, you know, it, clearly, it goes beyond just what you said earlier about you know listening. Um, so no, that's great. I think uh, it was definitely not boring. Those were those are some great quotes. You were a quote machine during that little little segment. <laughs> That's good stuff. I just learned something there. Um, well, I have to have to acknowledge hat tip to Roland Tharp and Stephanie Dalton, <laughs> the uh, professors who are, they're the professors who uh, education professors who have uh, been leading the charge on that. And what's what school was that? Uh, that uh, was uh, UC Santa Cruz, um, okay. their School of Education. All right. Shout out to them. Yeah, um, banana slugs. <laughs> <laughs> banana slugs. That, that was yeah. our school mascot. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Syracuse orange, which is not that much different. It's an orange with arms and legs that walks around and... and gives little kids nightmares. Um, I would say, yeah, I would say at least the banana slug does not have arms and legs to chase you down with. Uh, an anthropomorphized uh, orange could be very terrifying. <laughs> yeah. De yeah. Depends on if you see it in the sunlight or the darkness, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, no. Okay. Well, this has been great so far. Why don't, uh, let's shift gears a little bit and, and do sure. some looking ahead. Um, so if you have, do you have any thoughts on, you know, where things are headed, right? And by that, we mean, you know, what, what's next for, for legal departments? It sounds like you've clearly been able to use your background, some technology aptitude to successfully navigate this so far. Um, you know, but as businesses continue to speed up, and really, as the legal profession continues to, to, to change, what do you think's next? Like, how, how are legal departments going to change? I think there's going to be a potentially challenging dark period where people think algorithms are going to solve everything for us. We always hear about, like, this, you know, automation. Wow. No matter how many times I say that, I'm sure I'm saying it wrong. Um, <laughs> The, there's going to be this uh, that if they develop the right algorithm, it'll be able to um, handle everything about a contract. And the more it seems like we templatize contracts, the more we discover items that need to call out and actually get discussed. Now that doesn't apply to you know some of the very sort of standard like like we're talking about click through agreements and user agreements, but for services agreements, uh, vendor agreements, inbound licensing, outbound licensing, the more you have a template, the more there become specific issues that need a human touch to work on. So I think that a place ripe for innovation is going to be sort of the live editing of documents that allow for collaboration between opposing councils, but still maintain the attorney client privilege. Because we need to speed up 
some of this contracting process that takes can take months and months. And some of it is just getting bogged down in the transfer of documents between parties, which given that things can get transferred back and forth so fast, seems to be a, a, an all, odd false barrier. That's really interesting. What you described is something that has generally always plagued the legal profession, right? It's we, We've always been laggards to adopt technology in the right way, sometimes because we're fearful of being replaced as lawyers, sometimes because yeah. we're too cautious and too risk adverse that the, uh, the, the very thought of speeding things up makes us think that we're going to miss something, right? We're going to miss uh, inject something or somebody's going to inject something into a contract draft that it's going to change the risk profile. And, um, so I think you, you, you definitely pinned on something that, uh, that we hear from other people. I would love to see our next big innovation be a consumption of some of the usability and graphic design knowledge that has happened over the past like 10 or 20 years. There's been so much in library sciences and user interface, why can't we have a contract that can be both, that can be plain English to the extent necessary, but have the ability to identify what the under, underlying legal pinnings are and let whoever is utilizing the contract see the key causes that are relevant to their need or use of the contract. Like so often somebody from the business unit will come and ask, oh, what's, you know, I need to know about this particular issue. And there's no way to filter a view of a contract so those relevant Wow, relevant. That's a, that's, that's a type of elephant, but it's not an actual elephant. It's a relevant um, <laughs> that are um, filter the view of the contract that is relevant to the need at the time, but not bury everything so that uh, an attorney who's providing counsel misses something. I mean, we don't have any sort of intelligent views of contracts that we can easily do. So it sounds like you're describing kind of a mix of, uh, you know, making the way we view and consume contracts a bit more intelligent, but also taking a, a design approach to how we're writing them and presenting them. Definitely that. Definitely. I mean, something that when somebody approaches a contract, they're like not instantly freaked out. But also, I mean, you know how we're, we're, there's now the XML, so many different XML guidelines, like, you know, there's XML, that's the standard way of preventing comic books. So if you wanted to create a comic book script, you could do it under XML. Um, there's XML for presenting video content. So you make sure that the metadata for the video content. And there may be, and I just am not aware of it. So if I come off sounding incredibly, uh, you know, um, informed hopefully somebody will point me in the right direction but an XML that allows us to then make better use of 
contract language for when we're needing to interact with the contract after it's been signed. So a, a metadata of language that lets us make quicker use of contracts after execution, but where the metadata process doesn't slow down. I mean, right now, CLM systems can get you so bogged down in tagging things appropriately. Yeah, I mean, to, to, the, to the point where, you know, they, they add a lot of seemingly unnecessary steps that uh, make the experience not great. Yeah, and, and then all that metadata for the lawyer who then has to work with the agreement really doesn't provide a ton of benefit. Um, the metadata is very useful on the business side of seeing, you know, when agreements term, when somebody has to start working on a renewal, but that's all sort of, uh, uh, there, there doesn't really exist yet how to provide increased speed for the review process or the diving into an agreement after it's been executed for a lawyer to get some benefits. I know there's been a lot of work um, on uh, for something similar to that for uh, on the litigation side for um, getting benefits out of um, judges' decisions. Is that LexPro or? Um, yeah, there's a few of them. Yeah, um, but for somebody to have in-house to do through their own contract catalog, I don't think there's really anything yet to help. You know, when you're having to look at 10 different contracts to make sure we've all got the same language in the same place. Yeah, I, I mean, it's all, um, it's a mixture of manual tagging and AI that actually still requires quite a bit of human review. Once somebody not only figures it out and, you know, the legal profession at least the in-house lawyers that are really driving most of the innovation in this area, or at least the market demand for it. You know, once there's a solution out there that does that, they embrace it. That's going to be a big turning point. I think, I think you're right. Definitely needed. And, and I think uh, it's going to come about and then there's going to be a lag time before it's made usable. Cause we always, especially in the legal, we, a lot of times we seem to have, uh, Somebody comes up with a great decision, a great innovation, but it's not built exactly for using on a day-to-day -day basis. Right. Or they were just a little bit too early. Market's not quite ready yet. And then something else comes out 18 months later. Uh, that's always, <laughs> yeah, that's always, that's always so sad when like, you recall like oh, that was such a great solution, whatever happened to it. And you just realize, well, what happened to it was it was just, a year ahead of its time and nobody, not enough people jumped on board. Yep. And it happens very frequently, at least lately, um, in the legal tech space. But, you know, I think that's probably going to change soon. All right. Well, I think this has been great. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about or? No, really appreciate you, uh, asking me to come and, ramble on about some of these topics. It's always fun to get to talk about uh, the crossover between law and tech and 
what's happening and sort of brainstorm on the issues. The conversation was great. I think you did a great job. Lots of interesting stuff there. A few things that uh, that I'm going to take away as uh, learning. So thank you for that. <laughs>